0: I'd like to thank Tommy John's for being the newest supporter of the Peter Schiff Show podcast. You know, you take the 75-inch TV, not the 50. You buy the ribeye steak, not the sirloin. You want to fly business, not coach. There are times when paying a little more is worth it. And now you can get 15% off Tommy John's underwear and loungewear at TommyJohn.com slash See the website for the details. The Dow Jones finished the last trading day of the month of February down about 470 points. It ended the week in the red by about 1.8%, but that's a small decline compared to the better than 5% drop in the NASDAQ, although the NASDAQ did manage to pair its weekly losses on the day, managing to be up about one half of 1%. But the real damage started yesterday in the market the nasdaq really got hammered in fact most of the decline on the week happened yesterday but if you look at the technical action the dow jones which hit an all-time record high during the week ended up closing negative on the week for an outside reversal week and if you look at the weakness into the close the market tried to rally back but basically just rolled over and just hemorrhaged for the lows uh near the end of the day I think that was a very weak close. And I think Monday looks like a potential bloodbath for the stock market. We'll see what happens over the weekend. But technically speaking, people should be prepared for a very weak Monday, potentially a black Monday. We'll see. The dollar also had a big reversal that started on Thursday morning, early Thursday morning. The dollar index was down at 89.68. So that was a new low for this particular move with currencies like the Australian dollar sensitive to commodity prices, hitting a new 52 week high. Well, then after the bond market fell apart and that rolled over into the stock market, the dollar also caught a bid and started a rally and it closed the day back above 90 with currencies like the Aussie dollar getting clobbered. And even more so again today, the dollar was strong across the board, but again, mostly uh, relative to those economically sensitive currencies. Dollar index closed just below 91 now at 90 spot 92. Now, I don't think this is going to end up being a significant reversal in the dollar. I think the dollar still looks weak. I just think that since it was at the lows, uh, people decided to cover uh, their positions if they happen to be short the dollar, and they bought them back. I think the same thing happened in the crude oil market. Crude oil made a new high on Thursday as well. We almost got up to $64 a barrel. I think the high was sixty-three eighty-one, And then we ended up reversing, went negative, closed back mildly positive, and then got hit almost $2 today. Back at 61.66, but we're still above $60 a barrel. So I think the uptrend in crude is going to continue, and I think the downtrend of the dollar is going to continue, even if we have a momentary pause. But where it was really black and blue on the day, and not just today, but yesterday, was in the precious metals market. Gold hammered by almost $40 today, or about $40. It closed down at around $1,730. we are now down over 9% on the year for gold. We're down about 17% from the high last August, which was an all-time record high. So we're now almost in a full-fledged bear market. Maybe we'll be in that bear market by next week. We'll see. Silver hammered by about $0.80 cents, down at around but the catalyst for the sell-off in metals and the sell-off in the stock market is the continued sell-off in the bond market. I've been talking about that on this podcast quite a bit recently, and the bond market yesterday really collapsed early in the morning. We had the yield on the U.S. 10-year spike all the way up to one spot 614% and on the 30 year yield we got up to 2.402 that was a huge intraday move one of the biggest intraday moves in the bond market i've ever seen and that finally caught the attention of the stock market now gold uh gold traders have been watching rising bond yields closely and they have been selling gold off consistently on rising rates because, again, as I've been explaining on the podcast, what the view has been on Wall Street is that the Fed is going to be raising interest rates sooner than expected because inflation is picking up. And also the belief is that growth is picking up. And in fact, today we got some more economic data that seems to confirm the idea that growth is picking up. We got the personal income and spending numbers for the month of January and personal income shot up by 10%, 10%. That is a massive increase. The month before, income was only up six-tenths of 1%. Of course, the reason for the surge in January was that's when all the stimulus checks arrived in the mail. And so it was all these transfer payments that now constitute personal income. In fact, if you back out all the transfer payments, welfare, unemployment benefits, the stimulus checks, if you take all that out, personal income actually declined during the month of January. So people actually earning money, that went down. But people receiving checks from the government, that went up. But that is not how a strong economy is made. You don't have a strong economy uh, by printing money and sending it to people who aren't working. You build a strong economy when people are employed productively making things or providing services. That's not what we're doing. This is not economic growth. I don't care if the spending drives an increase in GDP. And as a matter of fact, there's a lot more spending to come because even though income surged by 10%, personal spending only jumped by 2.4%, which is a big number but not when you contrast it to the 10% gain. So we had a big increase in savings as a lot of the stimulus money was saved. But I have an idea that that money isn't going to be saved for long. It's going to be spent, right? Especially as the economy or parts of it reopen, uh, all that money is going to get spent and all of it is going to push up consumer prices. In fact, we got more confirmation of how screwed up our economy is today when we got the merchandise trade deficit for January. First of all, we revised the December number up. It was originally reported at 82.5 billion, now it's 83.2 billion. And the consensus was for 83 billion in January and we topped that with 83.7 billion. That is the second biggest merchandise trade deficit Ever recorded in a single month. And I'm sure that by February, March at the latest, we will be printing all time record high goods trade deficits. uh, And then we're going to keep on going higher because what else are Americans going to do with all this money that the Fed is spending? In fact, they still have a lot of money saved from the previous stimulus. And they're about to pass another one. The $1,400 checks are going to be in the mail. I think the House of Representatives today, they may have already voted to pass the the $1.9 billion stimulus. Initially, I think they were going to take out the $15 an hour minimum wage because I think the Senate parliamentarian said that it was a violation of the Senate rules and they couldn't put it in there. So I'm not sure if they included it or not or if it could possibly be there, but Look, it's a done deal that these stimulus stimulus checks are going to be in the mail. And, you know, the only reason they don't bounce is because the Fed is printing money. So all this money is going to be spent. What are we going to spend it on? We're going to spend it on imports because we're not making this stuff ourselves. We have more Americans unemployed than ever before. And a lot of Americans who are employed don't make anything. So if we want to buy stuff, we have to buy the stuff that people in other countries Who do have real jobs are making and so the trade deficits are going to go up so this is not a strong economy this is a gigantic bubble but people on wall street can't differentiate between a bubble and genuine economic growth and they also can't differentiate between nominal interest rates and real interest rates it doesn't matter that nominal long-term interest rates are rising real interest rates are actually falling. And I hear people talking about real interest rates rising. They're not. I mean, maybe if you believe the government's version of inflation, maybe they are. But if you're looking at real world inflation, real interest rates are falling. The inflation is accelerating faster than interest rates. Plus, short-term interest rates are still at zero. I don't know where people got the idea that what affects the price of gold is the yield on a 10-year treasury or the yield on a 30-year treasury. That's not it. There is a lot of risk when you buy that far out on the yield curve, especially when rates are this low. The interest rate that is important when you're contrasting it with gold is the overnight rate, the Fed funds rate. That's what you wanna compare to gold, what you can get on your overnight money. Not if you go out 10 years to 30 years and take all that risk. What is the overnight money? And that is stuck at zero and it's not going anywhere. I just talked about that on the last podcast. Powell just assured everybody that rates aren't moving, that the Fed thinks it's going to take at least three years for the inflation rate to get to 2%, right? Even though, you know, we got the uh, University of Michigan sentiment numbers came out today and consumers are expecting inflation to be 3.3% over the next year you know, one of the other things that Powell said was that, you know, the Fed needs to make sure that inflation expectations stay anchored at 2%. Well, clearly they ain't anchored there. They have drifted all the way up to 3.3%, yet the Fed is pretending that they're still at 2%. Meanwhile, consumers are wrong. Inflation is likely to be much higher than 3.3%, but at least they're closer to it than the Fed. But Wall Street is still focusing on how this is somehow bad for gold. And even though rates have really backed off, because after we had that spike yesterday morning and then the stock market rolled over and then oil rolled over and everything started to roll over, then we've actually got a back up in interest rates because now as risk assets started tanking, right, people went back into the treasury market as if it was a safe haven. And so some safe haven buying as a result of rising bond yields and falling bond prices, right? Because bond prices were falling and then stocks fell. People bought those bonds back as a safe haven from falling stocks. What they should have been buying is gold, but they sold that too. Because gold is the real safe haven if you understand the real threat. The real threat is inflation. And low-yielding U.S. treasuries buying a 10-year treasury At 1.46%, which is where we ended up today, there's no safety there. That is a negative real yield. Uh, You need to buy gold. But again, traders haven't figured this out. They're still using a playbook that no longer exists and they don't understand or appreciate the situation that we're in. They all expect the Fed to fight inflation. It's impossible. They can't fight inflation. They're going to surrender without a fight inflation is going to win and anybody owning dollars is going to lose and anybody betting against gold is going to lose. I didn't expect the price of gold to drop as much as it did from the highs. Uh, I knew that interest rates would rise, but again, I thought that more investors would understand what that meant, that it would mean the Fed would be doing more QE, not less. In fact, we got the balance sheet numbers uh, yesterday, the most recent week, and now we saw a $33 billion spike. The Fed's balance sheet is now just under $7.6 trillion. This is the highest it's been. In fact, I have a feeling that one of the reasons that we saw a reversal in the bond market yesterday is potentially the Federal Reserve intervened. Maybe the Fed panicked and bought a truckload of treasuries on Thursday morning and we'll find out when we get these numbers next week what happened to the Fed's balance sheet but I have a feeling it really ballooned. Now, I don't know where the money supply numbers are because the Fed stopped reporting the weekly M2 numbers. So, we don't get them anymore. Now, I think they're going to be reporting them maybe less frequently. I don't know, maybe the conspiracy theorist in me would say that one of the reasons they don't want to report these numbers is because they don't want people to see how big they are, right? If you're trying to commit robbery, right? You want to do it you know, in the cover of darkness, you don't want to shine a light on it. So maybe there's a reason that they don't want us to see these numbers as often, but you know, they don't seem to care. I mentioned on my last podcast, Powell said that money supply no longer matters, that the quantity of money no longer affects inflation. Even though that is inflation, you have a Fed that thinks they can print as much money as they want, and none of it affects the value of the money or the prices of the goods that we buy with the money. But the other thing that traders overlook, of course, is what rising interest rates are going to do to the stock market, what they're going to do the economy. If you think we have a strong economy, well, if interest rates rise, there goes that economy because the economy is a bubble and rising rates will prick it. You have all this borrowed money and it's all more expensive if interest rates go up. Same thing with the real estate market. Same thing with the stock market. Asset prices are very much a function of interest rates. And in fact, I said this on the podcast, the stock market is far more vulnerable to a decline based on rising interest rates than is the gold market, especially the NASDAQ, these growth stocks. They are highly sensitive to interest rates, far more so than the value stocks that pay good dividends now uh, that compete with those higher interest rates. And here is the the rationale. In case you don't understand this, growth stocks are stocks that are not producing income now right? Investors are looking into the future and they think that they're going to grow into their earnings, right? These are going to be, they're spending a lot of money now, they're growing their businesses, they're going to have all this growth, and eventually they're going to have all these earnings, and then they're going to be able to start paying dividends in the future. I don't get any dividends now, I'm just waiting to get the dividends in the future that are going to be the the result of all the growth. Now, when interest rates are zero, does it cost you any money to wait 10 years uh, for your income? No, because there's no opportunity cost. There's zero interest. So if you have really, really low rates or zero, you can put a very high multiple on a growth stock that isn't going to deliver earnings uh, until you know many, many years into the future. On the other hand, let's say you have high interest rates. Say interest rates are 10%, right? Well, if I'm waiting for a stock to grow into earnings and I have to wait 10 years well, it costs me 10% a year while I'm waiting. So if I'm going to have to give up all that income to wait for this growth stock to potentially start uh, you know, paying dividends, well, I'm not going to be willing to pay nearly as high a price as the price I would have to pay if I wasn't giving up any income. Now, of course, rates don't have to be 10%, whatever they are, if they go to 1%, 2%, 3%, Any increase in the interest that I can get on my money today, that produces a reduction in the value of whatever income a growth stock could potentially produce in the future. So the stock market is much more vulnerable, particularly the high-flying NASDAQ. And so what is going to happen if rising interest rates cause the stock market to crash? Well, we already know what's going to happen. We saw what happened last year in March when the stock market crashed because of COVID. What did the Fed do? The Fed quickly bought interest rates back down to zero and unleashed QE infinity. Now, if the air starts coming out of that bubble again, if the stock market, which is even more overvalued now than it was pre-COVID, And the economy is even more screwed up now than it was then. The deficits are much bigger now than we were then. And we don't have Donald Trump as president, who's promising lower taxes and less regulation. We have Joe Biden as president, who's promising higher taxes and more regulation. The market could tank even more now than it did then. So what is the Fed going to do? Just sit on its hands and do nothing? Of course not. The Fed is going to come up with a much bigger increase in its quantitative easing program. That is what's coming. Now, I don't know. The markets, for some reason, they're just waiting to hear it, right? They, they, they can't figure it out. They can't read between the lines, even though the lines are pretty wide and easy to read between. They're just waiting for the Fed to actually come out and say what should be obvious or not just say it, do it. They're waiting for this program. But when it happens, it's going to be a stampede out of the dollar and a rush to get into gold, which is why people should be buying the dips now. Don't worry about it. If people who don't understand where we're headed are doing the wrong thing, you just keep on doing the right thing. And, of course, doing the right thing does not mean buying Bitcoin, Bitcoin is not digital gold, Bitcoin is the riskiest of all the risk assets, and it is gonna come down with rising interest rates. And I know a lot of the Bitcoiners probably are taking some satisfaction in the fact that gold is falling too, but Bitcoin is falling with everything else and gold is falling, although if it was supposed to be non-correlated, why isn't it rising? I mean, if you bought Bitcoin as a hedge, well, Bitcoin is going down as much, if not more, uh, than the rest of the market. So it's not providing that type of hedge. Now, yes, neither is gold at the moment, uh, but I think gold is going to be negatively correlated with Bitcoin, and that gold is going to be a hedge against uh, the market and against inflation, whereas Bitcoin will not because it's not a real good, and therefore it's not an inflation hedge because it has. No price, no value as a good that relates to any other prices that rise as a result of inflation.
1: Traffic jams, tailgating, pile ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right, the Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
0: But meanwhile, look at what's happening with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. I warned about it on this podcast. You know, it closed at a small discount a couple of days ago for the first time in maybe five or six years, I forget. But today it closed at about a five or a 6% discount to the net asset value. It's closed at forty-three twenty down about 27% now uh, from its high, which was set earlier this month. So that's a within the month, we have this 27% sell-off. And that's about, I think, maybe 7% bigger than the Bitcoin sell-off itself. I think Bitcoin is maybe down about 20% or so from its high. As I'm recording this, uh, we're a little over 46,000, maybe 46,300. The high was 58,000. 200, But I think this is a big game changer for Bitcoin now that you have the Grayscale Trust at a discount. In fact, I think it's now more likely to trade at a discount than a premium. Number one, you've got an ETF now that has some competition that was just launched out of Canada. Uh, so why buy Grayscale when you can buy an ETF? Uh, so I don't think it's going to get to a premium. And that means that Grayscale is not going to be able to sell shares into the market for cash and then take that cash and every day buy Bitcoin. Grayscale was the biggest buyer of Bitcoin. It's not going to be buying anymore. So I don't know where the buying is going to come from. Everybody says the institutions are buying. The institutions were buying GBTC because supposedly they didn't want to buy Bitcoin outright. So they wanted to buy it on the exchange. Well, obviously they're not if it's trading at a discount. And in fact... As GBTC, the Grayscale Trust, as that trades at a discount, it ends up being a competition for Bitcoin. If I can buy the trust at a 5% discount, well, I'll just buy that. What's the point of buying an actual Bitcoin? So it draws demand away from Bitcoin, which pushes down the Bitcoin price. And as the Bitcoin price falls, well, so does demand and the price of the, bit, uh, the Bitcoin trust. So this thing could be a self-perpetuating spiral. So just like there's a lot of risk For a stock market crash right now, there's an even bigger risk of a Bitcoin crash. And of course, if we get a real crash in the stock market, if we get a real crash in Bitcoin, the safe haven is not U.S. treasuries because it was the decline in treasuries that started the whole thing. There is still a lot of risk in treasuries. The real safe haven is gold. And when gold starts to soar, the dollar is going to tank. And then all of a sudden, all this money printing, all these deficits, the budget deficits and the trade deficits, they're going to mean something. Right now, it doesn't mean anything because everybody is crazy. Well, sanity is going to return and I think it will return soon. And the important thing is that we're already sane and we're just prepared for everybody else to realize what we already know. I was very glad to have Tommy Johns as my newest sponsor because, you know, I've been wearing Tommy Johns underwear myself for about two or three years. I actually started wearing them because my wife saw an advertisement and so she bought them. And I gotta tell you, they're the best underwear that I've ever worn. In fact, I have a whole bunch of pairs now and whenever I put my hand into my underwear drawer, it's the Tommy John's that I always grab first. I don't use the other underwear unless, you know, my housekeepers, you know, had the week off or something and there hasn't been laundry done. And, you know, I run out of Tommy John's, but maybe now that they're my sponsor, maybe I'm gonna have an even bigger supply. And so those are the only underwear that I'm ever gonna have to wear or be wearing. And look, These are the most comfortable underwear. They don't ride up. In fact, when you buy them, you get a no wedgie guarantee. I don't know if other underwear companies come with that kind of guarantee, but what I like the most about these things is the horizontal fly. Now, I mean, I've been wearing underwear all my life. I'm almost 58, right? And underwear has always had a vertical fly. And I don't know what, you know, why nobody thought about this, but it's so simple yet so brilliant. I mean, it is so much more comfortable and so much easier to use. And I don't have to describe what makes it so easy. But, you know, when I walk up to a urinal now, when I got those Tommy Johns on, it's smooth sailing, right? All you got to do, try it for yourself. You know exactly what I mean, right? Order, just get your first pair of Tommy Johns. In fact, you know, order a whole bunch of them because I, I, I can almost personally guarantee you once you go Tommy Johns, you're not going back. These are going to be your underwear for life. And if I'm wrong, returns and exchanges are free. And right now you can get 15% off your first order at tommyjohn.com gold. For years, I've been telling people the best place to store their precious metals. Well, Tommy John's is the best place to store the family jewels. That's 15% off Tommy John underwear and loungewear at tommyjohn.com gold. tommyjohn.com gold. See the website for the details. And as if the week wasn't crazy enough, one final bit of market craziness happened with these meme stocks, these heavily shorted stocks, the poster boy being GameStop. Now GameStop shares on Wednesday, they closed at $40 a share. On Tuesday, the shares closed at $40 a piece. Then on the following day Wednesday, they gapped open to 44.70 and closed at $91.71. So pretty much a double in one day. Then on Thursday, the next day, we gapped open at $169.55 and went as high as almost $185 a share before selling all the way off back down to $108. Still up on the day, uh, but about $80 a share off the high. Then today, we ran all the way up to $142.90 Before selling off back down to 86 (laughs) and then closing at 101.74, only down about four bucks on the day, but having been through a roller coaster ride during the day. In fact, I saw an interesting interview today with Henry Blodgett on CNBC with Joe Kernan. And Henry Blodgett was a Merrill Lynch internet analyst uh, during the 1990s. Dot com bubble, And I remember making fun of this guy in real time because he had these pie in the sky forecasts for all these internet stocks. He was the leading cheerleader from that bubble. But to his credit, he actually learned a lot from that bubble. Unfortunately, Joe Kernan, he was a reporter during the bubble. He didn't learn anything. And, you know, the most interesting part of the conversation was that Henry Blodgett talked about the fact that during most of his career now, Since everybody knows the role that he played during the dot-com mania, as the stock market has been going up, he's always asked the question, does this remind you of 2000 or the 1990 bubble? And he finally said, he said, you know, for the first time, what's happening right now and what I'm seeing is exactly what was happening back then. So yes, finally, after all these years, we've finally gotten to a point of market craziness that is exactly like what I remember the 1990s being. And what he said is he doesn't know where we are in this cycle. Is it mid-1998? Is it mid-1999? Is it early 2000? Right, so is the bubble about to pop or is the bubble going to get a little bigger before it pops? But one of the things that really annoyed Joe Kernan is he had to bring up Bitcoin, of course, uh, and Henry Blodgett agrees with me. He thinks that the whole thing is nonsense. It is a pure bubble and it's gonna crash But because it has zero value, as opposed to a stock, which can have some measurable value, since it has no measurable value, the sky's the limit. I mean, people will pay whatever they want. And of course, this is infuriating uh, Joe Kernan, who is, you know, really can't be an objective interviewer uh, when anybody is asked about uh, Bitcoin, because if they don't like it, he immediately starts arguing with them. Uh, But I thought what he had to say came from a unique perspective of having lived through the bubble and been caught in it because Henry Blodgett did not realize that there was a bubble in the dot com until long after they crashed. And so he was able to look back on his experiences and see how he got caught up in the mania. And now he sees the same thing happening in the markets today, you know, with these meme stocks, uh, with a lot of these momentum stocks and with uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. I wanna move on a little bit from talking about the craziness that's going on in the economy or the markets and talk a little bit about the craziness that's going on in American society, this whole cancel culture war that has been raging by the left. And there's a few examples that have really been bothering me that I wanna discuss. One of them has to do with this controversy that shouldn't even be a controversy regarding The Bachelor, which I've spoken about this series before on the podcast. You know, I had been watching it. I kind of got dragged into it uh, by my wife, who is a fan of it. But neither one of us is ever going to watch this series again or the sister series, The Bachelorette. But the controversy exploded because of a photograph that surfaced of one of the finalists. She is one of the three finalists now competing uh, for the hand of The Bachelor. And you know, I think I have an idea who won, uh, but I'm not gonna say anything just in case anybody who's listening to the podcast is watching this show and they don't want me to spoil it, but she's one of the three finalists. And long before she even became a finalist, I think it's been the last few weeks that this has kind of been brewing, is this photo came up of her at a sorority party. And it's a Southern-themed party. Antebellum South, you know, kind of like gone with the wind. Uh, they're all dressed up and the type of clothing that uh, the Southern Bells would have worn during that era. And because of this, she has been accused of being a racist. Because after all, in the Antebellum South, there was slavery. And so if you are at a party that is in the theme of the antebellum South, well, you are therefore supporting slavery, you're insensitive and you're racist. And of course, what made this all the more sensational was the fact that The Bachelor on this season, a guy named Matt James, is the first black Bachelor. And in fact, I think the series was quick to announce him in the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter Uh, George Floyd stuff because they had taken a lot of flack because they hadn't had a black bachelor in the past. And so they were quick to to show that they weren't racist. And so they they have this guy on. But now they're saying that this woman who is a contestant and who is hoping to marry this black bachelor, that this woman is a racist, which, of course, is nonsense, because if she's such a big racist, why does she want to marry a black man? And first of all too, she's not even pure white. I mean, she's half white and half Hispanic. I saw her father on the show the other week and, you know, he's very much a Hispanic. So, I guess she's like George Zimmerman, right? She's a white Hispanic. But so she's ethnic herself. And by the way, uh Matt James, his 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 mother is white. His dad is black, so, you know, but his complexion is pretty dark, but they're both mixed race. But why would this Latino, right? who wants to marry a black man, why is she a racist? Simply because she went to a party that was in the theme of the Antebellum South. I mean, first of all, the girl's 24 years old now. So it was three years ago, so she's 21, going to a fraternity sorority party. I mean, if you think about all the crazy things that goes on in Greek life and all the wild things that people do, you know, when they're 20, 21 years old, This party would rank pretty low on that totem pole. I mean, I went to crazy parties. I wasn't a member of Fraternity when I went to uh, Cal, but I went to a number of their parties. In fact, I went to Roman toga parties. Toga parties were kind of back in vogue when I went to college because of Animal House, which came out. I think, right at the end of my high school days. And that kind of revived the 1950s, 60s kind of toga party. And so all of a sudden, people started having toga parties. So I went to some toga parties. Now, I mean, they had slaves in ancient Rome. I mean, I obviously didn't care about that. I I wasn't you know being pro-slavery because I went to a Roman toga party. I mean, Roman culture didn't even enter my mind. Right? I hear about a party and it's like, oh, there's going to be music, there's free beer, there's girls dressed in sheets. Yeah, I want to go to that party. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? I'm sure that uh, Rachel Kirkconnell is the young woman's name. She wanted to go to the party. She wanted to dress up. It sounded like a lot of fun. It didn't mean that she endorsed slavery and it didn't mean that she was insensitive to black Americans today who are the descendants of of slaves that somehow she is condoning slavery or disrespecting them in any way, right? Obvious, obvious. So here's what happens with the controversy. So as a result of all these people who want this young woman's head because she went to this party, right? The host of the show, guy by the name of Chris Harrison, he's on an interview on television with the former first black bachelorette. Her name also happens to be Rachel, Rachel Lindsay. So she is interviewing him about this whole controversy. And now Chris Harrison has the nerve to actually defend this young woman from all these attackers. And he says, come on, we need to put this into context Right? She wasn't being racist. It was three years ago. It was before you know Black Lives Matter and George Floyd. I mean, we weren't hypersensitive back in 2018 like we are now in 2021. So maybe you should cut her some slack and let her explain herself. And, 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 and he basically did the right thing by defending somebody who is being attacked unreasonably by the woke uh, mob of political correctness Uh, trying to cancel her and so because of that because he stood up for her now all of a sudden this guy's a racist and he's got to resign from the show he's not even going to be on I've got the you know the next episode is after the final rose it's a live episode he's not there he may never host this show again because everybody went out and attacked him now even including the bachelor Matt James who originally I think defended him but now he's coming out and he's saying no 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 this was horrible the way he talked to Rachel Lindsay he he needs to be more respectful of the of the horrors of slavery and, and discrimination and bigotry and the black experience and all this nonsense and so somehow he should not have tried to defend her which of course is a bunch of nonsense but now even the woman herself, Rachel Kirkconnell, the half-Mexican, uh, half-white woman who went to this sorority party, she has now come out and is publicly denouncing the people who are defending her. She is basically apologizing profusely for her racist conduct and you know, is basically trying to win now the acceptance of the mob by caving in and admitting her sins. And she is admonishing anybody who is trying to defend her as also being racist. I mean, so the, the, the pressure now from this politically correct crowd uh, is so intense that the host has to leave the show. The, the bachelor himself turns on the woman who he may have even proposed marriage to, who knows. And now she's even caved in on her own and is now, you know, profusely apologetic for her racism and insensitivity when all she did was go to a party. This is a bunch of nonsense. But this is now the society where we live in and we are allowing this vocal group of people to push us into this direction. And the more we cave in, the worse this is going to be. I mean, you may think this is trivial stuff, but as we surrender this territory, they're going to take more and more and more. I know that this is all leading up to a bigger payday, reparations. In fact, look what happened with this other controversy uh, regarding that New York Times reporter uh, Donald McNeil. And if you haven't heard about this guy, he was a longtime New York Times reporter, I'm right? probably a pretty liberal guy. I mean, I really didn't follow him. I didn't know much about him. And then I started this controversy. But so this guy, he was on a field trip with high school kids uh, in Europe somewhere. I forget where, Uh, but he was on a field trip. And apparently on this field trip, there was a discussion about a girl who got suspended or something from school because a video surfaced of her when she was only 12 years old. And in that video, she said the N-word. And I think she sang it. I think it was a song. If I'm not mistaken, she might've been singing a rap song. And of course, the rap songs are replete with the N-word. They're all over the place. So maybe she, instead of just mouthing it or skipping it over, I'm not really sure what you're supposed to do when you're white and you're singing a rap song, right? You just gotta, you know, skip over those words. Even if your black friends are all around you saying the word. Uh, But maybe she said, I don't know, whatever it was, she wasn't calling somebody the N-word. She simply uh, maybe sang it in a song. And so the the students were asking this teacher, did he agree with her suspension because this uh, video surfaced of her years earlier in a private setting uh, using that n word? And he basically said, well, you know, I don't agree because I think it depends on the context in which you're using the word. I mean, are you calling somebody that word? Is it being used as as uh, as a racial? Uh, Epithet, right? Are you really like, are you are you directing it at somebody, or are you just using it in a sentence? Uh, and and then he ended up making the mistake of using the word in that sentence as he was describing it, right? So apparently, so he uses the word. He speaks this word, right? But obviously not in a derogatory sense. He's just describing something and he ends up using the word in a description, right? So anyway, the the administrators or the people at the New York times find out about it that he said, I guess some of the kids ratted him out and, and said, Hey, Don McNeil said, said the N word. Right. So then the newspaper, the New York times looks into it. They discover the context in which he used it. And they're like, okay, you know, Hey, you know, yeah, you shouldn't have said that, but we understand that you're not racist. You didn't mean anything bad. It kind of just slipped out. Right. You know, like, um, you know, what's that, uh, that, that routine that, that a comedian has, where he does George Bush and he's like, you know, he says, you don't want to mispronounce the country Niger, right? I mean, you just can't, you know, you can't, you know, there's even a word that means stingy, you know, that has that in it. And apparently you can't even use that word anymore either because it contains the N word within it, even though it means stingy. It doesn't refer to, uh, to a person, but, you know, so they let it slide. So what happened recently was the fact that the New York Times did not fire this guy for using the N word in the context that it did, that became such a huge controversy that they ended up firing him. They had to fire the guy, even though he had not used the word in any kind of insulting matter. So basically the rules are, if you are white, it doesn't matter what the context is. If that word comes off of your lips, you have to be fired from your job. And it doesn't even matter where. I mean, if it if it surfaces, if you had a private conversation and you use that word in a way that doesn't even indicate that you have any racism, just the fact that you pronounce that word correctly out loud, you are immediately fired. Meanwhile, these are a lot of liberals who all believe in employees' rights and workers' rights and all kinds of wrongful termination. But apparently none of that matters because if you say the N-word, you are fired. It doesn't matter What happens, it doesn't even matter what the context is. You know, it also makes me think of the movie, The Life of Brian, where the guy is going to get stoned, you know, because he said the word Jehovah. And then he just starts saying Jehovah in a different context. And every time he says it, they throw more stones at him. And then the guy that's the leader of the people who are stoning him, he ends up saying Jehovah, and then they all throw stones at him. Uh, But I mean, it's the same thing. But I mean, think about the ridiculous of this, where if you're white, you can't say this word. I mean, if you're black, you can say the word all the time, right? In fact, for a lot of young black males, the N-word is as common in your talking as A is to the Canadians, right? They punctuate every sentence. They put an A in there. Well, I mean, you hear the the N-word all the time, so they can say it all they want, and if a white person says it, not in a bad way, but just says it, well, they're fired. I mean, could you imagine if society, if white people tried to tell black people that here's a word that you can't say we've got this word and you know we can say it but you just can't say it and if you say it well you know you're going to get fired from your job do, do you think that there's any way that they would put up with that of course not they say what are you you're not going to tell me what i can say and what i can't say right it's ridiculous but how can society bow down to this pressure and say this is just some sacred word and if any white person says it regardless of the context They're going to be fired, right? And then it even gets worse because what happened then is this guy, Mike Pesca, who's a reporter, right? This guy works for Slate, right? And he has a private conversation on Slack, right? The messaging service with some of his colleagues discussing the fact that Don McNeil got fired, right? And he says he doesn't think he should have been fired. He is defending Don McNeil by saying, hey, come on, you have to look at the context With which he said the n-word right so news got out that he was defending this guy in a private slack conversation among his colleagues and for having the nerve to defend this guy he gets fired and he didn't even say the n-word i mean the whole thing is ridiculous imagine if some guy from the new york times who learns that don mcneil got fired for using the n-word And then he says to another colleague, oh, I can't believe that Don McNeil, he's been here for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, a great reporter, and all he does is say the N-word, but he doesn't say the N-word. He actually says the word by accident. In that conversation, I can't believe he got fired for saying blank. And then somebody found out that he said that. Now he gets fired? I mean, what kind of crazy world do we live in where this is our reality? Meanwhile, you know, we have all this other real stuff that we should be worried about. Right? There are a lot of problems that the African-American community faces. Racism is not one of them. Right? I mean, it may be a problem, but it's minor in the big scheme of things. The real problems, nobody wants to deal with those. Right? We want to build up these fake problems, and we want to then create this ridiculous environment that somehow, if we can punish everybody who just uses this word that somehow we're going to stamp out systemic racism. But of course, it's not just racism. It's all this nonsense. Look about this stuff with with gender, right? I just read in California, they uh, have a new law. I don't know if it's passed yet or if it's just gone through the legislature, but they wanted to make it illegal for stores that sell things to children. I guess children's toys or maybe clothing, but they want to make it illegal for the stores to have a boys section and and a girls department, right? You can't label it boys and girls because, you know, that's not right. We we shouldn't want to assign any particular gender to anybody. And we don't want to just force boys into the boys department or girls into the girls department. And first of all, it's not the kids, it's the parents, right? They're the ones that are doing the shopping. Why do stores have a boys' section and a girls' section? Because somebody comes into a toy store and they're looking to buy a birthday present for a boy, they're going to go to the boys' section. Yeah, that's because that's where the stuff that boys like is. Right? It's to make it easier for the customers. It's to make it convenient for the customers. There's nothing sexist about it. There's nothing homophobic or anti-LBGQ. Uh, I mean, let's assume that I want to buy a present for a boy, who I think likes girl stuff. Well, then I'll go to the girl section. Nothing's stopping me from doing that. The government doesn't have to mandate that stores take away the boys' section and the girls' section and just randomly put all these objects in the store, and then you just got to figure it out. So now, if you want to buy something for a boy, or if you want to buy, you know, uh, a, a a dress from a Disney princess or from Frozen because you're buying for a girl, right? You can't just go to the girls' section because you would figure that's where those dresses are. You just got to go through the entire store hoping to find what you're looking for instead of the store making it easier for you uh, by separating it out, which is is such nonsense. Look, if people really want that, if there is demand for stores that don't have a boys' department and a girls' department, if there's really demand for that, then stores will cater to that demand and they will open up and they will advertise, hey, we're gender neutral. We don't have any signs for boys and girls. So if that's what you want, well, then come to our store. But that's not the case. I mean, the percentage of the population that doesn't really identify male or female is so minute. We can't let a tiny portion of the population dictate to, the, to everybody else, how they're going to live their lives. And, you know, what really bothers me about all this is the whole idea is you're supposed to be tolerant, right? So whether it's transgender or whatever the, whatever it is, it's they want the majority to be tolerant to the minority. And I agree. And I think most people are tolerant. Live and let live. I mean, you know, live your life the way you want to live it. I mean, you know, dress however you want. Call yourself, you know, whatever pronoun you want to use. That's fine with me. The problem is when you try to force other people to do it. It's like the people that are demanding that other people be tolerant of them are completely intolerant of everybody else. That is the big irony. And so how do you solve intolerance by bowing down to the demands of people who are even more intolerant? Probably the craziest thing about it on the same uh, topic, as I just heard the other day, Hasbro is now canceling Mr. Potato head. Right? We can't have Mr. Potato Head anymore and Mrs. Potato Head because, you know, we can't have a gender. So they're gonna rename it just Potato Head. No more Mr. or Mrs. And first of all, you know, Potato Head doesn't have a gender. It doesn't even have a body. So it's just a head. So there's nothing there that would become a gender. The only thing that makes Mr. Potato Head different from Mr. Potato Head are the accoutrements that you attach to it. So obviously for Mrs. Potato Head in the box, you get, you know, big uh, red lips and you get you know you get women things and with Mr. Potato Head you know you get a mustache and the different things that you know that would make the potato more masculine than feminine but apparently you can't have that now so it's just going to be potato head and I don't know if they're then going to have to put all of the the female parts and all of the male parts in the same box I mean, so you now going to get both the male and female when you buy the potato head because before you would choose, do I want the Mr. Potato Head, which would be potato head with the male parts, or do I want a Mrs. Potato Head, the potato head with the female parts, right? Uh, If now you could just buy a potato head and they got to give you all the parts in the same one, I guess the the price is going to have to go up now, right? Because you can't just buy the parts that you want. You have to buy the parts for both genders. Uh, even if you only want one. But the whole idea that we are somehow offending people. I mean, if you are a transgender person and you are offended by Mr. Potato Head, you got much bigger problems that you need to deal with. And if the broader society is going to allow this vocal minority to dictate all all of our culture, I mean, what are they doing? I just read that students, I guess these are black students, In a University of Washington, like Washington University, wanna remove the statue of George Washington from Washington University. I mean, first of all, if you hate George Washington so much, why are you going to Washington University? Go to another university that's not named after George Washington. You would think that if you're gonna go to Washington University, you should at least have some respect for George Washington. It doesn't matter to me that George Washington had slaves, right? Because you have to look at the context of the times. George Washington was a great man. Yes, if we're going to judge him now based on the fact that, you know, we now know and all believe that slavery is wrong, the problem is that wasn't the, the world that George Washington lived in. You have to appreciate the man for what he accomplished and you have to view him with the morality that existed at the time. And you can't just repudiate everything that the father of our country did, because in addition to all these great things, he also had slaves. You know, there are a lot of other people who we admire who also had some things that they did that were bad, you know, well after slavery, right? And we don't, we don't condemn them just because they had one or two, things that they that they had faults and say and overlook all of the good things that they did and say oh they did one bad thing i mean we don't know what people in the future are going to look back at i mean Maybe in the future, everybody's going to be a vegetarian, right? Maybe everybody in the future, I don't know, in 100 years or 1,000 years, maybe they're going to look back on anybody who ate the meat of another animal. And like, you you murdered an animal. You actually ate the flesh of another living creature. I mean, maybe in the future, it's going to be regarded as murder. I don't know. Right? I don't know how people are going to look back at us, that we're eating meat, you know, we're we're killing you know, cows and pigs, and we're raising them, and then we're slaughtering them, and then they're, we're eating them. I mean, we, you know, we think nothing of that. But maybe that won't be the case, in know, in, in 500 years or 1000 years, who knows how people in the future are going to view uh, our, our eating habits. And, and, and let's say that it's nobody does it anymore. Well, are, are all the statues or uh, of any of Americans that did anything great? during our time. Are they all going to have to be canceled now because they're going to go back and they're going to say, oh, but wait a minute, but he ate meat. Forget about all these great things he did. Look, he actually murdered uh, or he participated in the murder of innocent animals, right? Now, I'm not, you know, saying that that's as bad as slavery, but the point I'm trying to make is we can't judge people by today's standards for the actions that they may have committed when the standards were completely different. The same as trying to judge Rachel Kirkconnell because she went to this sorority party. Nobody would have been bothered by it. I'm sure that nobody at the school made us think about it. I mean, I'm sure there were some black girls and guys that went to this university in Georgia. I mean, it couldn't have been all white. And I don't think they had this party in secret. It wasn't like, I I saw the photographs. It wasn't at night somewhere. I mean, it was right in bright light of day. I don't think anybody at the time who was actually there thought anything of it. I don't think any African-Americans who were there were hurt or offended by the fact that uh, this party took place. But of course, now it's a whole different world and it is not an improvement. This is not the world that we want to live in. And believe me, if we don't put a stop to this, if we don't say enough is enough and, and, and stop bowing down to these ridiculous demands, this is just the beginning. It is going to get a whole lot worse. There's an expression. You give them an inch, uh, they're going to take a a mile. Well, this is the inch and we are giving it. I can see this and we are going to end up losing the culture and losing the economy because this is all uh, a pretext for socialism. That is the bigger agenda of the people who are pushing this. It's not just uh, racism or, or sexism. They actually are pushing socialism because the cure for all these problems right all of our systemic racism what we need is more government bigger government so that's what they're doing they're, they're using this as a wedge and then they're basically disarming everybody and then they're going to have a full frontal attack uh, of socialism <laughs>